Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. So I bought my wife a fridge for her birthday. I can't wait for her to open it so I can see her face light up. You know, you know why dinosaurs don't make good pets? Because they're dead. I love that one. You got to have a certain sense of humor to like that, but I love that one. Dinosaurs don't make good pets because they're dead. All right. So uh, we're going to be in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 18 today. Um, Listen, let's just start right here, right now. I could preach all day long, probably every day this entire week, and talk to you about the subject I'm going to talk to you about today. I'm talking to you on a subject that has a lot of information in the scriptures. There's no way I can cover it all. Books have been written on the subject. What I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to give you a snapshot of a couple of things and pray that God speaks to your heart. So let's start here. Have you ever promised yourself that you would never do something again? You've done that? How many of you turned around and did it again? Have you ever promised yourself that you will do something? I will make this change. I will make this change. Anybody ever promise that? Yeah, yeah. All right. And then how many of you didn't follow through on that change? Come on. Wow. We have an issue. And the issue is that we can't even live up to our own expectations of ourselves. Last week, I talked to you about our position in Christ Jesus, that we are seated in the heavenly realms above all principalities and powers with Christ. We have all of God's authority vested in us. We have the power of the Holy Spirit invested in us. We have all we need to be successful because we are seated with Christ. We have the authority. We have the power. We have the position. We have those things. But yet you testified you don't live it. Why? Because there is a different realm of the battle. The battle has already been won and settled forever in the heavenlies. God has won through Christ Jesus, and he will always win through Christ Jesus. It is already won. Christ died once for all. It's done. It's completed. It is finished. The work is done. But you and I live with brains. You have a brain, right? Yes. Now, you may be a little brain dead, but that's a different thing. But you have a brain. So what I want to talk to you about today is the realm where spiritual warfare is continuous. It is completed in the heavens. It is continuous in your head. The six inches between your ears is the most battled state in the entire universe. You are at war with you and the ideologies and the powers of darkness. (laughs) So today what we're going to talk about is, I I mean, I I could go off and I could give you all these philosophies, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a a 10,000 foot view of how you can win the battle in your head. Y'all ready for this? All right, would you stand to your feet in honor of God's word? Ephesians chapter six, verse 10. Finally, 
Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. How much of the armor should you put on? Full. Full. All of it. All of it. If you miss something, you're going to get in trouble. The full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's what? We'll talk back. We'll circle back around to this. But I want you to see what the devil's tool of warfare is. What is his tool of warfare? It is schemes. It's not what happens to you. It's what you think about what happens to you. It's not what happens to you. It's what you think about what happens to you. It's not what the sin is in the world. It's what you think about the sin in the world. It, his, his only tool is to get your brain off of God's plan and onto his schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We've already won, right? Didn't we agree on this last week? We've already won? Yeah, your struggle's not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, and powers in the dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And how do they fight you? They fight you with schemes in the six inches between your ears. So, Father, I pray that today you would speak to minds, to hearts, that we would learn to be a people who live in victory in the middle of the crises of this world. For our position is secure. We are already victorious in Christ Jesus. But our practices need to back it up. Positionally, we've already won. Our practices need to back it up. And I pray that you would teach us a little bit today about how to walk with the practices of winning life in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, turn to somebody, give them a big smile and call them a winner. Tell them you're a winner. <laughs> then you can sit down if you want to. Hey, online, you're a winner in Christ. You're a winner. All right, so there are two, um, there are two uh, uh, battles, if you will, that are going on in between your brain. And I, I want to break these two battles down. I'm going to give them to you real quick. One is guard your armor and the other is guard your thoughts. We're going to start with guard your armor because the passage immediately following what we read as our text today is going to talk to us about our armor. But before we get there, let me, let me just say that, let's circle back around. Satan's attacks on you are schemes. His method of attacking is using tricks, deceptions, lies, and distortions. Good liars never make up lies. They exaggerate truth. <laughs> right? If, if you go to buy a new car and they say, oh, you can just take it free. All you have to do is sign on the dotted line. You're going to know that's a lie, right? But they're going to tell you. What they're going to tell you is you can lease this thing. And, and it'll be great for you. If you lease it, if you sign right here, you will only pay $169 a month and you get a new car to drive that you don't have to take care of. It is awesome if you will sign this lease, just sign it. And then you find out you have to pay $4,500 down at signing. And then when you have rented the car for years after paying $4,500 down $169 a month, do you know what you get? You get a third of the value of the car if you go to buy it. Now they don't tell you all that. By the way, do the math. Leasing a car is a stupid thing to do. 
Just do the math. Because if you drive more miles than they can resell it for, then you get charged more. <laughs> but anyway, why did I tell you that? Because you notice that it, it's what you don't know. It's the facts you don't know that makes this a valuable option rather than this. If they'd tell you, hey, this car is going to cost you $40,000 and then you're going to owe me $25,000 at the end of it. How many of you would do that? No. Why, why did I tell you that? Because schemes are the way to trick you. Half-truths are the way to trick you into bad decisions. Anyway, nothing can touch you that God does not approve. There's nothing that can touch you that God does not approve. If you are suffering, suffering an attack of the devil, it's because God is letting it get to you because he thinks you can not only win, he knows you can win, but he also wants you to grow through the struggle. I don't care what your struggle is. Some of us have more struggles than others. If you have more struggles than others, it's because God trusts you more than he trusts other people. He trusts you enough to know that you can not only handle it, but you can turn something bad into something good for other people around you. You don't believe me. So let me give you the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. God is faithful. And he will not, what's the next two words? Let you. You think things happen to you outside of God's oversight? You're already seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. You're a winner for all time and eternity because of Christ Jesus. And nothing is going to touch you outside of God giving approval to it. That's one of the lessons of the book of Job. Nothing can happen to you that he will not let you. He will not let you. God will stop it before it gets to the point that you can't handle it. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide the way out so you can be able to endure it. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. What? Does that, does that last sentence look like it doesn't fit with the previous part? See, we're talking about spiritual warfare. We're talking about you guarding your armor. We'll talk about what armor means in just a second. But, but if you're going to guard your armor, you have to realize that there is no attack that comes against you that God knows you can't win. Any attack that comes against you, God has already provided for you to win it. The problem is, though, that next sentence, therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. The, the problem is, is that we get idols in our minds because of the schemes of the devil. They make us want to, they make us want to believe his lies. And those lies lead us in idolatry where we put stuff or our pleasure as an idol above God Almighty. So the temptation that's coming against you is a scheme of the devil to try to lead you away from your pure devotion to Christ. And every temptation that comes against you is to lead you away from a purity to Christ. Therefore, my friends, flee from idolatry. The way you can win every battle is to go back to Jesus. Come on, come on. I'm tempted. 
I'm not some super saint. Come on, I'm just as big a loser. I'm probably a bigger loser at this war than any of you. And I fight it all the time. And I know every time that I'm fighting a spiritual battle and I'm winning and I'm winning, Satan will come and say, yeah, you deserve better. Anybody ever hear that? Come on. Well, you ought to. Well, I don't know what yours is. Well, you're just a loser. I don't care what his lie to you is. You ever notice when you're trying to follow Christ, the devil comes in and he starts filling your head full of lies. And what happens is you start thinking about the lies instead of thinking about Christ. And then the next thing what you're doing is you're pursuing some fleshly desire that will lead you to idolatry. All right. So Jesus has power over all kingdoms of darkness and all powers and demons and spirits, etc. And he has given us an armor that we need to resist the devil's scheme. So he's already given you an armor to win. But this armor, I, I want to, Paul, I talked about this through a series. Paul is a teacher of the, the New Testament that is grounded and rooted deeply in the Old Testament. And Paul goes back to Isaiah, 40, uh, Isaiah 59 to pull out this passage. Isaiah 59 says, uh, he put on, speaking of God, he put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head and the garments of vengeance. He wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. So what, what's being said here is God is the originator of the armor righteousness and helmet of salvation. We're going to see these, these same two pieces of armor repeated that Paul says they're given to us. So the armor God has is an armor we have. So in Ephesians chapter six, he, exp he expands on the armor of God and he says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness. Remember that's God's breastplate of righteousness in place and your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then do this, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So what is your spiritual armor? How do you fight? in a day-to-day -day basis so that you win what is the armor that we have. And this armor is described in this passage. I'm gonna walk you through it super quick. I'm gonna comment on each one. We're gonna do this fast. Y'all ready? All right, first of all, we talk about the belt of truth. What is the belt of truth? In those days, people wore um, uh, like, a, um, um, what do they call those? They didn't wear stuff like that. They actually wore robes. And those robes were long robes and they would come down to your ankles. So what you do is you would take your, if you were going to go to a fight or you're going to run or something, it's called girding. And this is what the father did in the story of the prodigal son is he reached down and he grabbed the back part of his robe and he pulled that sucker up like a big diaper and he would tuck it in his belt. And he tuck it in his belt. And that way he's wearing like a big diaper with his legs exposed and he could run because he had robe all the time. You can't run in a long dress, right? can't run in a long robe, but if you tuck that sucker in like a big diaper and the belt of truth keeps you secure because what truth does is it, it, is it covers you up, but it also frees you to move the right way. The belt of truth is what holds that big diaper in place. Let's just put it this way. I don't know whether you need one or not. I, I guess it depends. I'm sorry. I, I'm, I, I, <laughs> Sorry, I just had to go there. Belt of truth. The belt of truth, though, keeps you 
from being exposed and it gives you the ability to move freely through situations. Come on, anybody ever been in a situation where you question what's going on and when you hear the whole truth, you're like, you know what to do then, right? Kids, wife, family, all right. Second of all is breastplate of righteousness. And the breastplate of righteousness covers what the, the New Testament Greek word is, splagna. And the splagna is your interior, splagna. Doesn't that sound sort of cool? I mean, you just love saying that word, splagna. It means your heart, your lungs, your guts, all that kind of stuff. It's the stuff in here. And uh, one, one of the things is here, uh, especially those of you that are dating, listen to me. If you're wearing your breastplate of righteousness, your heart won't get wounded. A lot of people's hearts get really wounded because they don't wear righteousness. And then later on, they get a broken heart. Keep that righteousness on, on your job, in your family, in your relationships. Keep that breastplate of righteousness on. All right. And then let me see. Um, hold on. I, I wrote this in my notes. A righteous lifestyle protects your heart. Thirdly of all, shoes of peace. What are shoes of peace? Well, Anybody? All right, when I was a kid, I lived in Oklahoma, and they made these roads out of chip and tar. Do you all know what chip and tar is? They'd pour tar on the road, hot, black tar on the road. Then they'd come along, and they'd dump little gravel on top of it. I got scars on my body from landing on it. But anyway, when I was a kid, uh, we would walk to the store, walk up to Clayton's, and we'd get an ice cream occasionally. And when you'd walk up in the middle of the afternoon in Oklahoma heat, 105 degrees, there would places that tar would, like, puddle up. And if you're ever walking barefoot, because in those days, I'm not sure if it's because we couldn't afford shoes or what it was, but I'd walked everywhere barefooted all the time. And I'm walking to this store and, and one day I stepped in that black tar, that melted hot tar on the bottom of my feet. I don't care how tough your feet are. It, it literally peeled the skin off the bottom of my feet from that black tar just scorching through. And I will tell you, in those days, I needed shoes. They would have brought me some peace <laughs> because I walked around for days like this, right? Are y'all following me? If you've ever run in the desert and there are rocks and you ever, you ever walk, take a hike and around stones, anybody ever do that? You like step on a stone, you walk into the mailbox or something, you step on a stone, the bottom of your heel and the shivering shocks go up and down your back. Is that just something that happens when you get old? Or is that just me? <laughs> anyway, uh, what, what happens is the shoes of peace enable you to go through difficult situations knowing that you can step firmly. And that's why the Bible says the, guard of, the God of peace will guard. The, the God of peace guards, protects you. All right, how about this one? Shield of faith. Come on, I... I I have questions all the time. Anybody ever read the Bible and you say, I just don't like this God? Am I the only person that's ever done that? If you're in this room and you have read the Bible and you've been disturbed by something you've read in the Bible, lift your hand, lift your hand. Wow, all right. The rest of you haven't read the Bible yet. <laughs> in those moments, do you ever ask a question like this? Why am I even a Christian? Why would I believe this? Anybody ever feel that way? Or, or maybe something happens to you that really disappoints you and you're walking through life and all of a sudden it's like, well, God, where are you? If you were big enough, you'd take care of this. Anybody ever had those feelings? Am I the only one that has a, say man, if you've ever had any of these feelings questioning God. All right, so we all have. 
Do you know that God gave you a part of your armor that's to protect you in those moments? Because eventually you'll figure out that scripture that you read that disturbed you if you'll do enough work. Amen, preacher, that's good. Listen, you gotta do some work on that. I've studied the Bible for years. I'm not disturbed by what I don't read in the Bible. I'm disturbed about what I do read in the Bible. And it takes time, sometimes decades, before I understand a passage that I read a decade ago that I don't understand. Are y'all following me here? And there are times it takes decades for me to have an experience that happens to me that I can figure out what God was doing and how God was winning the victory through it. And you know what I do in the meantime? The shield isn't that cute little shield. The shield that they would give that he's talking about is about a four foot shield. It's about that big four to five foot shield. It is a, is a wooden shield and it's wrapped in leather. And when they would head into battle, they would dip it into water, this wet leather. And what happened in those days is enemies would fire arrows at you and the arrows were meant to be uh, lit on fire. So they were on fire. Now, what, what, what's the most dangerous? Come on, if you're out West right now, God, please help all those people out West that are going through all of this struggle with fires. Well, what's the problem? I mean, come on. Have you ever been someplace and seen a wildfire? Can you imagine a fire hitting your tent and your tent's made of combustible and everything in it's made of combustible and all your firewood and all your, all your weapons are made of wood and everything around? If you get fire in the camp, what happens? Everything's gone. So the devil is trying to not kill you with the arrows, but to set you on fire until you destroy everything. And this shield of faith was what? It was covered in water, so when the enemy would fire, you would just put it up there and you would back down underneath it, and when it would hit, it would extinguish against the leather, and you were hid safe and secure. What, do you ha what happens in this life when things happen to you you don't understand, you can't control them, and you're like, God, I don't understand you in this moment. What do you do? Faith. How about this? The helmet of salvation. What is the helmet of salvation? So it covers your head, <laughs> your thoughts, your thoughts. Anybody else have a problem with your thoughts? I have problems with my thoughts. Uh, me and my daughter, we were standing in a line the other day talking, and we were, we were talking about our character flaws. We all have character flaws, right? I have character flaw. My character flaw goes back to getting the crap kicked out of me when I was a little kid. And I learned that if I punch you back harder, you will eventually leave me alone. So my character was shaped by getting the living snot kicked out of me and I learned to fight. And I learned to fight hard. I learned to fight harder than the other person. So guess what my character flaw is now? You step in my world and push my buttons, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna come back at you hard. And that's a character flaw I have because it's an immediate reaction, not when I think about it. And I'm always working on it. Come on. Do I sit and think about it all day long? Oh, I think I'll be a jerk to this person who just said something I don't understand. No. Would never be a jerk to a person. Not on purpose. But it happens, right? How about you? You would never hide and avoid confrontation and go passive aggressive. Nothing. You would never do that on purpose, but you do it. How about you? You would never be filled with lust immediately and destroy your entire family, right? 
You, you would never be a greedy person that, <laughs> anyway, you would never do these things on purpose, but they're thoughts that go through your head and you can't stop them from going through your head. You would never be filled with anxiety about the fact that I'm going to kill all my kids. Heard that one a lot out of women. Those thoughts go through your head. And if you dwell on those thoughts, what are you going to do? You can go nuts. Here's the deal. Are you ready for an old line? I love this line. You, can, you can't stop the birds from flying overhead, but you can stop them from building a nest in your hair. You can't stop random crazy thoughts from going through your head. You can't stop the things that randomly go through your head. You can't stop it. It will happen. They are, they are attacks of the enemy. They are, uh, they're your flesh. They're your tendencies. And you can't stop those tendencies from happening. What you can do is stop dwelling on them. The helmet of salvation means that when those things come into your head, you don't have to live in it. I tell my kids all the time, you got a switch right up here. Right? You got a switch. Just flip the switch. You, did anybody ever get in a spin? Am I the only person who ever gets in a spin? Maybe in the, you're talking to the mirror about something that happened and you just, you just start spinning and you start making stuff up and talking louder and getting more agitated and angry. Am I only, the only person that does that? Anybody else do that? There are four of you. The rest of you are lying. You are just, come on, let's be honest today. We all have things that go through our head. You can't stop that from happening. But the helmet of salvation means you don't have to stay there. The helmet of salvation means that you can, you can choose your thoughts. And then the sword of the word. I'm only going to do point one today. I've already made up my mind. Next week, you'll have to come back for the next part. All right? I was going to do something totally different next week. I'm going to have to finish next week. All right? Sword of the, sword of the word. Let's talk about the sword. The sword of the word. There is only one offensive weapon in your armor. Everything else is defensive. The helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, the shoes of peace, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, all defensive. By the way, you have no armor on your back. Cowards will never win in the kingdom of God. You don't turn your back to the enemy. You move forward. But you have a sword. What is the sword? It is, according to scripture, it is the word of God. The word of God. Now, we have the word of God written in the words of man. Do you hear what I said? We have the word of God written in the words of men. This Bible was written by men. There are things in it that were written from a human perspective that God is working through to get his word to us. Every word is inspired by God. It means it is God breathed. He is speaking life to us through this word. And this word will be the offensive weapons you will use to fight against the enemy. But this word does you no good unless you partake of it. When Jesus was tempted, you can look at this. It's in, it's in Matthew, it's in Luke. He was tempted, right? You remember this? The devil came and tempted him after Jesus had fasted 40 days. Now that's a bad day to get tempted. Anybody ever fast? 
Have you ever fast for like days at a time? And at the end of three or four days, you're like so weak and depleted, it, it, it's hard to even think straight. And Jesus fasted and prayed for 40 days. And then Satan shows up <laughs> at his weakest moment. Don't tell me you can't overcome. Because here he is at his weakest moment. Satan shows up. Hey, Jesus, you hungry? What a stupid question, right? 40 days, hadn't eaten. I'm, I'm hungry. All right. So wait, those, those rocks there where they were, they look like little loaves of bread. They're rocks about that big, sort of shaped like a little loaf of bread. Satan says, hey, those look like bread. You know, you can do all things. Why don't you turn one of those loaves one of those rocks into bread for yourself. And Jesus responded, how? It is, it is what? It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. It is what? Written. So when devil attacked him to even gratify his flesh, what did Jesus do? He said, it is written. He used the sword of the word of God. Then after that, you know, he took him up on the pinnacle of the temple. and He said, hey, throw yourself down because it's written. Notice the devil's now fighting using scripture. It is written. The Lord will bear him up on his angel. His angels will bear you up so you won't even strike your foot on a stone. And, and Jesus responds. How did he respond? See, because the devil wants to take this out of context to make you think it's saying it's not what it's not. The devil's going to fight you. And what do you do? You say, it is written. Jesus said, it is written. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. So we responded to the devil's twisting and scheming of scripture with scripture in context. Third thing, Satan takes him all the way up on the highest hill and says, hey, look around. Look around. I, I wish I had time to talk about this. Says, I'll give you all these kingdoms. They're all mine to give you. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. You ever notice how the devil is a liar? He promises all the kingdoms of the world to a guy who owns the entire world and could, and it's all gone. Did, did you see that? Did you see how unrealistic the temptation is there? He's telling the maker of the universe that he's going to give him what he made. Did y'all did catch that? Do you know how many times the devil lies to you and tells you things that are not true about you? If only you had this, you would be happy. When you're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, you've already got all you need to be happy. You're just not living it the right way. What? What did Jesus say? It is written again. Why? Why? I'm doing this on purpose because a lot of you, you're losing the battles because you don't know the scriptures that apply to your battle. Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests unto God. And the God of peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Why do you think I have that verse memorized? Come on. Well, there's four. Why do you think I have them memorized? Why? Why? Do not be anxious about anything. Think maybe I'm ever anxious about it, something? So what do you do? Scripture properly applied will give you a weapon against the anxiety that is attacking your soul. Yes. 
what, what scripture do you need to memorize? I think we have an identity problem. I think that's where most of our problems come from. We have an identity problem. Years ago, um, I was struggling with an addiction. I, I was addicted to tobacco. I started using tobacco when I was about 13 years old. Eh, back it up. Honestly, about nine. Grapevines when I was eight. Anybody old enough to smoke a grapevine? You know what I'm talking about? So I smoked the grapevines, then I smoked cigarettes. And then I switched because I wanted to be an athlete. I, I switched to uh, tobacco, like snuff and stuff like that. I, I literally would go into school with a dip in my mouth and keep it in all day and wouldn't spit. Because I had to have it. I was addicted. Anybody ever been addicted? You have to have something? Yeah. <laughs> I was addicted. So don't tell me you were just a teenager. You don't know what it was like. Because I was 20 years old and I'd thrown away hundreds of dollars worth of tobacco trying to quit. And I couldn't quit. So I, um, I decided I wanted to quit no matter what it cost me. So I go to a dean of men at our college knowing I could get kicked out of college because I went to a Bible college and they were strict and I was already on disciplinary probation. And I was already, uh, I had, you know, they say three strikes are out. I was at 2.9999999 strikes. And I go into the dean of men and I say to him, hey, listen, I just want you to know if I get kicked out of school, I get kicked out of school. But you know what? I'm tired of being addicted and not having control. Repentance always starts when you quit blaming everybody else and you own it for yourself. That's a whole different sermon. So I said, I don't care what it costs me. I want to quit. I don't care, whatever. And the guy said, okay, I tell you what, take some of these note cards, go back to your room and write down a couple of verses about, you know, scriptures that would apply to your struggle. So I took him out of his word because I really wanted to quit. So I went back to my room and I opened up my Bible and I started writing scriptures. And I came back the next week to this meeting and I walked in with a stack of note cards about that, that tall. And I set him on the desk and he looked at me. He reached up and he grabbed the note cards. He started thumbing through them and he realized every single one of them was not only filled with one scripture, some of them had four or five verses on there. And he sat back in his chair and he said, you really meant that. <laughs> Come on, anybody ever say you want to quit and you really, really don't want to quit? He said, you really meant that. I, I was expecting you maybe to bring two or three back, but why? Why'd you do this? And I said, because I want to quit. I hate being controlled by something else. And you know what I'm talking about. You got to go outside and take your smoke break. Because you can't make it through the day without a cigarette. Can't make it through a day without a drink. All you think about is porn all day long. Come on, you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. When do you want to quit? When are you going to quit blaming everything else and just own the fact that you have what you want because it's what you want and you're the one making those decisions? The devil isn't doing this to you. You're doing this to you because you've already won in the heavenly realms and you're thinking wrong right here. Want to get out of debt? When are you going to change your thinking? Want to have a healthy relationship? 
When are you going to change your thinking? When are you going to quit blaming everybody and own it? So you own it. I owned it. Wrote down those scriptures. And you know what happened? God led me with that first day was the last time a dip of snuff's ever been in my mouth. That last day, that first day I walked into his office. We're talking 40 years. <laughs> Guys, 35 years, whatever. Guys, there's power here. I'm, so you know what he told me to do with those cards? He told me to put those scripture cards where I kept my tobacco. And every time I was tempted, every time I thought about it, go over and read a couple of them. I have hundreds of scriptures memorized now because no temptation has overtaken you such as is common to man and God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. How do you think I memorized that verse? How many times do you think I read it? You memorize it and you hide God's word in your heart. And that is the warfare against the enemy because the enemy is going to throw thoughts your way telling you think like everybody else in this world. And you're going to say, no, it is written that I am to flee idols. The question is this. Do you want to just be an average, okay Christian that sort of lives in a Christian culture and you come to church occasionally and it's okay and it's good enough to get you by? Or do you really want God's best? What do you want? Somebody said to me one time, can a Christian be demon possessed? The best answer I ever read was a Christian can have anything they want. <laughs> If you want the devil, you can have the devil. If you want freedom, it's already purchased for you in Christ Jesus. And you're going to get tired. You're not going to want to do this. Oh, by the way, by the way, real quick, real quick. In that whole leaving tobacco thing, you know what God revealed to me? Because it was an identity issue. I grew up in Oklahoma and I read a lot of Louis L'Amour books. Started reading them when I was young. And in every single book that I read and every man that I knew that was a real man, a rough and tumble man, a guy who captured his world and was studly and strong, every single one of them used tobacco. And God revealed to me that what I was trying to do was I was trying to be a man. It wasn't about tobacco. It was about my lack of my view of me. And when I realized that in Christ Jesus, I'm more than enough of a man, I don't need some outside influence to make me a man, that's when the chains dropped off. That, my friends, is the helmet of salvation. That, my friends, will keep you from the stupid. You're not beautiful because some guy wants to put his hands on you. Because I, I hate to tell you this, every guy wants to put his hands on every girl, and that's just the way it is. It doesn't make you special. What makes you special is when you're a woman of God enough to know that you're beautiful how God made you, that you treat yourself like a lady and request others to treat you like a lady. <laughs> Amen? All right. So the band's going to come. I, I, I'm going to tell them to come because they were supposed to come at the end of the second point. I ain't getting there. 
one more thing. I, I, I want to show you this as they're, they're coming up, all right? When Jesus delivers us, he, he strips the demons of their armor. This is in uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 20. But if I drive out demons, Jesus said, by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And when a strong man fully armed guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, and I noticed this, this for the first time this week in the scriptures, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted. So when you win what you do, when you win the battle, what you did back in the day is you took their armor because their armor was a symbol of their power. When Jesus delivers people from Satan's, Satan's control, he, he does something. He steals their armor away. He steals the armor of the devil away and he gives you his armor. <laughs> armor is a sign of victory. That's why David kept Goliath's sword all those years, right? It's a sign that he won, all right? So the devil, what the devil is trying to do to you and I is he's trying to fight us to steal away pieces of our armor. He's trying to take away your shield of faith. He's trying to take away your peace. He's trying to take away your truth. He's trying to take away your helmet of salvation. He's trying to take away your sword. And every attack on you is to take away something God has already given you. And that's why Ephesians chapter six tells us Put on the full armor of God. When the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand, to stand, to stand. I hate to, I'm going to tell you one more story. I was walking home from basketball practice. A little kid came up to me. He was two years younger than me. He had his two older teenage brothers behind him. I was about 14, they were about 18, 19, and he's about 13, something like that. I'm walking home from practice and he comes up to me on one of those dark roads and he pulls his pocket knife out, clicks it open, walks up to me and starts jabbing it in my chest. I looked at him and I'm standing there with this kid sticking a knife in me and making threats to me and I'm thinking to myself, you're a quarter inch away from not being able to walk home, kid. Because I'm going to snatch that knife out of your hand and I'm going to bloody you like a bloody pulp. But I knew if I hit him, his brothers would laugh at his beating and then I would never make it home. Right? You've never been there. <laughs> I don't, don't want to be there. You know what I did? Do you know what I did in that moment? I did this verse right here. I just stood there and smiled at him. I think I may even put my hands behind my back and I just smiled at him. And he kept jabbing me and saying whatever he wanted to say and, and I just stood there and smiled. Because I knew I could beat him up. I knew I, he wasn't intimidating me. I know I can take you, but I know I can't take those two. <laughs> right? Maybe you didn't grow up in a violent neighborhood like I did, but that's how it was. But you know what I did? I just stood there. And when I stood there, all of the, I just sort of let it wash off because I knew he was just talking to impress his brothers and he couldn't do anything to me really. He's too cowardly to even hurt me. And I just stood there smiling at him. 
And eventually he got tired of it and he went on his way and I went on my way home. And you know what harm I suffered from that day? Nothing. Because the schemes of the devil, if you stand your ground with the armor on, knowing who you are in Christ, they're just the attacks of a little bully who can't really do anything to you. Some of you are fighting battles and getting your tail ends kicked, but I want you to know I have never lost a rap battle in my life. I am undefeated in rap battles. You know what? I have won, I've never lost a marathon either. I, I, I am undefeated in every marathon I've ever run. Do you know that? I've never lost a rap battle. I've never lost a marathon. How many of you believe me? Everybody should believe me because I'm not lying to you. You know how many rap battles I've been in? None. You know how many marathons I've run? None. There are some battles I don't need to fight. Some of you just fighting battles that the devil is coming at you and he's and you are responding. And what you need to do is stand with the shield of faith and with the helmet of salvation say, I've already won. I don't need to mess with you, you little punk. Get out of my face. It is written that God has already given me the victory. I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Why are you fighting these battles? I'll tell you why you're fighting them. Because you're insecure because you're not putting your armor on and you don't have your weapon. Guys, I want to preach a sermon today. And I told you I can go forever on this. If you don't say, man, you don't look in your eyes like you get it, I'm going to be here till two o'clock. Do you know why? I want you to win. I'm tired of watching you get beat up by the devil. So we're gonna sing a final song. Here's what we're gonna do. Here's your final song. Having done all to stand, I want you to stand. And there are some of you as an act of faith, you need to stand. You need to come down here and you need to stand here and you say, God, I'm gonna put it on. I'm going all in today. I'm tired of getting my butt kicked by the devil. I wanna win in Christ Jesus. If that's you and you need to come to this altar, you need to stand here and say, I am a winner in Christ. I'm putting this armor on. Then as we sing this song, come on, let's do it. I'll pray in just a second.